Warning, the following presentation is intended for mature audiences and it contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes, adult dialogue, and strong language. This podcast represents the opinions of the hosts and their guests, and every effort is made to ensure that information is accurate. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome fellow armchair detectives. I'm your host, Ashley Boitis. And I'm your host, Tamlin Rousseau. And And this this is Just in Crime. Join us as we explore the issue of gender-based violence and femicide in South Africa. By exploring the victims and their stories. Hello all you armchair detectives and welcome back to this episode of Just in Crime. So today we're going to be doing something a little different and instead of focusing on a case, we're basically going to be having what we hope will be like an insightful conversation about gender-based violence. We know this is super broad and we're going to try our very best to just like provide you with some facts without, I guess, draining the life out of you. But yeah, we're basically just unpacking what gender-based violence means. We just feel like this is basically a subject people are obviously very, very tired of hearing about just because it's so saturated in the media. However, like it would be super irresponsible if we didn't like even try and maybe contribute to someone's like knowledge about gender-based violence especially considering like all our cases are based on that very premise. And also this podcast is being released over 16 days of activism against violence against women and children. So we feel like this would obviously be a very appropriate time. Who knows, you might learn something you didn't know before. And I mean, it's always a plus. Um, But please also keep in mind that this is just one of the episodes of the conversation that we'll be having. Um, And the other one will be basically based on femicide. And that will be coming later on in the series, which we're very excited about as well. So as we mentioned at the start, it is currently 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. And so you're probably going to be hearing and seeing a lot of things about gender-based violence. And so it's really good to get like a good understanding of what that really means. Um, And if you're looking for that, then this is like the perfect podcast for you. So I'm just going to ask Tam, like, can you give me a summary of gender-based violence, but do it in like one minute, bullet point form, speed dating kind of style? Okay, Let's just go in like three, two, one, go. Start timer. So, wow. Okay. Basically, gender-based violence is like violence that takes place as a result of a person's gender. And it's basically any physical, psychological, emotional, and even like financial abuse. In this case, it's specifically violence that is against women and children, but it can happen to men as well. And it's basically just like... a like a huge human rights violation. Oh, look at you. You got all that in under a minute. Vivi impressed. Um, But yeah, that pretty much covers it um, in terms of the basic understanding. Yeah, that was a pretty good broad 
definition, but it's great that we're talking about it. As we know, the femicide rates in South Africa is outrageous, and every year it's just getting higher and higher. It's gotten so bad that a woman is literally killed every three hours. The statistics for gender-based violence are not any better as like one in five women older than 18 have experienced physical violence. And as a country, South Africa actually has one of the highest rates of gender-based violence in the world. Yeah, dude, like I remember when we first started doing this podcast and we were doing like our research, um, we basically came across, it was like a list of the most violent cities in the world. And it was really surprising to us because we literally, South Africa, Africa has four cities on there. And if I remember correctly, it was like Cape Town, Joburg, um, Durban, and then like, weirdly enough, Nelson Mandela Bay. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like that obviously shows just how bad as a country we are in terms of violence. So it doesn't even shock me that the gender-based violence stats are so high. Yeah, and as we know, this already concerning issue of gender-based violence has been worsened by the national lockdown that was set in place, like due to COVID-19, and it's been an absolute nightmare just for gender-based violence and femicide cases. I think that like we could have expected that though, like... I don't know. I can't even imagine the countless women who are basically like trapped in their home with their abusers. And even if they did like muster up the courage and have the like impetus to leave, they would literally have been stopped in the streets and told to go home. Because like from what I've seen and like obviously like our experience with lockdown here, South Africa was definitely one of the most stricter countries in terms of like their lockdown regulations. So they would have 100% sent you home. And we can all say that conflict is going to arise in every household when you're like locked together 24-7. That conflict is obviously then just like exaggerated when you're stuck in a house with like an abusive partner. In addition to this, we do have a substance abuse issue specifically like pertaining to alcohol. So take all those factors, put them together and what do you have a recipe for disaster? Yeah, dude. And I think like specifically with this lockdown period, what it did was highlight something that we like as a country have been sweeping under the rug. And that is basically that South Africa has evolved into a mass grave for women who are being killed by men. As we know, when Cyril officially declared violence against women as like a national crisis um, earlier this year. But what does that even mean? Because I can't personally say that I've seen anything like that's been done. Yeah, dude, like I can agree. Like, and maybe that's just to the blind eye. Maybe we just don't know because we're not there. But I remember when we covered the case of Uyunene, which was our first episode. Um, So if you want to like hear more about her case, you should definitely go listen to that one. It was a big one in South Africa. But they kind of came out and it was said that there'd be government intervention. And every time that these cases go on, they keep saying government's going to intervene, government's going to intervene. And yet it seems like there has been like no amount of government intervention that is big enough or radical enough to address to um, big enough or radical enough to address this issue at the rate that it needs to be. So basically, when it comes to like fixing the issue, um, from the research I've done, I think like what needs to happen as a country is we need to look at this from like a holistic perspective. And basically, to start that off, we need to look at the root causes and what um, other factors may come into play that contribute towards gender-based violence. 
When you say South Africa's past, like we're obviously speaking to the violence that many people were subjected to during the times of apartheid. But like, what does that mean? Okay, so well, I think when we look at the very root of the issue, we need to take into consideration that our country's past and history has been one that has left people um, very traumatized and they experienced a lot of violence. And I think while like our constitution and our law and our way of like thinking has moved past those times, um, the emotion and the pain and the healing that needs to come in still hasn't happened. Um, it was like a time where people were basically dehumanized. And I think that we're still seeing that mentality play out in like the present day. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Like it's evident when we look at um, crime and the brutality in which they're like perpetrated. Like it's, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, dude. And like, just to add on to this like already bad narrative of people feeling a lot of hurt and pain and being subjected to violence, they are still like, really, really high levels of inequality in our country. And I don't think that's any, like, a point that anyone can deny. Like, we literally have areas like Alex right next to areas like Santon. Um, so I think what many people expected after apartheid is that they would suddenly, like, matter and they would become, like, valued citizens of this country. But, like, let's be honest, that didn't happen. And understand that, like, I'm not trying to, uh, like, humanize any abuser because I know that that's done a lot at, like, the expense of the victim. However, I think we need to recognize that people don't feel like they're being treated fairly. Um, there's lots of inequality and there's still a lot of pain and anger in people's hearts. I mean, at the end of the day, um, hurt people just kind of like hurt people. So I can understand um, we have all that going on, on like the foundation. Then we add on the fact that South Africa is a very patriarchal society, which has many backwards like views on women and their roles, like obligations, and then just their place in society. I mean, while it doesn't take away from how horrendous the crimes of violence that some of these men commit are, there's no excuse for that. But I think that answers like the question that many people have. And it's how can someone just have like so much anger within them that they're able to commit such brutal crimes. Yeah, dude. And I think it's also like with that, um, we live in a country where we've literally, we objectify women and we view them in like a certain way. And so a lot of the time these men are put into like difficult situations and then they take their anger out on um, their like women or their children. And it's only because they like perceive them as weaker. Exactly. So basically, it's like a combination of unhealthy power struggles and toxic masculinity. Yeah, dude, like I literally saw a tweet the other day and I literally died. It was like, I've cracked eggs stronger than the masculinity of South African men. Like I was literally dead. Um, and the only reason like I laugh so hard is because it's so true. And I mean, sometimes it doesn't even appear like that obvious. It's very much like on a like subconscious level. Exactly. Like more and more women have started coming forward over the years about like gender-based violence and abuse. And this abuse doesn't just refer to physical abuse um, where you can see like the black and blue on the person's body. I mean, let's admit that does happen a lot in South Africa though. It does, but there's a lot of different types of abuse and these all have equally devastating effects. These include like psychological abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse. And this is just like a few like to name. Yeah, dude. And I think like each form is equally as dangerous as the other because like 
a lot of the times, especially if the abuse isn't physical, half the time these women don't even know that they're being abused. And I think like a lot of the time they're made to feel like it's their fault, like they can't do anything right. And like it just becomes a really, really awful, like toxic cycle. And I think um, it can definitely like start off as like psychological abuse and then it kind of like develops into physical abuse. And by that time, the person is usually like so invested and like caught up within the cycle of abuse that it comes incredibly, like incredibly difficult to leave. Yeah, dude. And like for me, it's totally mind blowing that like in the modern age of 2020, that people still don't understand that like leaving an abusive relationship or situation isn't like as easy as it seems. Like there have been so many cases that have come out recently that show that that isn't always an option. Dude, especially within South Af- the like South African context where money is also like a really big issue and people in these types of like relationships can also like have children and on top of that we've seen that sometimes abusive partners do not take it well when a woman like leaves and so their lives are essentially just like put in danger unless you basically have like a proper safety plan set up and we'll talk about what that is at the end of the episode but without that it can be very like risky and very difficult to leave yeah dude like I literally read a story the other day where a woman she was like in her 20s she tried to leave her boyfriend um he basically then went and he got like all his friends um to gang up they kidnapped her they then gang raped her set her body alight and like dude she was so badly burnt like that her whole face was completely damaged and they basically had to take like skin from her forearms to basically create like a new mouth and a new nose for her and dude it's absolutely absolutely heartbreaking that this is the reality for so many women in South Africa like you can't leave because he might kill you like I even remember being told when I like first started dating that like if you want to break up with someone you should do it in like a generally public place because then at least they can't do anything to you. Yeah, and just like circling back to the point of money, a lot of the times abusive partners will basically withhold and manage funds as a form of control. So imagine this situation, right? You live in a rural area. The nearest police station is 10 kilometers away. You don't have like money to catch a taxi. And for anyone who doesn't know, a taxi is like a minibus that crams like 12 to 15 people in it. Um, But in any case, 10 kilometers is like a really, really long walk, especially if you have to do it twice. And on top of this, you might have like three children at home and you can't just leave them. Also, you may only have a few hours in the day, like where you're not with your husband because he's at work. So in a situation like this, what do you do? You're legitimately like stuck in an incredibly difficult and tough situation. Yeah, dude, like I literally couldn't have said it better myself. And I agree with you, like, what do you do? But while we're also on like this topic of why people don't come forward and like say when they've been like abused or raped or why women don't leave abusive situations. um, And I think like one of the biggest barriers is like women are really scared that when they speak out, something's going to go wrong because it's often met with such animosity and hate. Like, it's so scary. Yeah, no, dude, like with the police. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that's one of the biggest barriers to resolving this crisis is that the police and, like, the system do not work in favor of the victim. I just feel like I need to jump in and mention this before I forget. Like, while we're on the note of police, it was extremely, like, aggravating during the lockdown period to see police officers, like, go after people selling cigarettes and alcohol, like, really 
getting like going down on them and really like going and doing their job. But when it comes to like gender-based violence and rape reports, it kind of just feels like they're dragging their feet. Yeah, and I mean, like that is the exact reason why women don't go and report because it just feels like they're not taking it seriously. Like we all know that the reality is if you go there, there's a high chance that when you go to report a crime such as domestic um, violence or rape, that they're not going to believe you or they're going to laugh at you. And like in some cases, they even further abuse you. Like I've just read some like really outrageous situations and I'd actually just like to speak about it because I've never like thankfully had to go and report a crime of that nature and so I haven't I don't think I ever really fully understood like how bad the situations were um, and they left me like absolutely speechless so like the first one this woman was basically like attacked by her son and he tried to rape her but then the neighbors heard and like luckily thank god they intervened um, but when she went down to the police station to report the case they basically said because she didn't have any blue marks on her that they don't believe her and like they're only going to open up a case if she walks in there half beaten dead Another woman was also in a similar situation where she was um, beat by her husband and she ran down to the police station like at 3 a.m. She attempted to open a case like against him, but the officer who was supposed to be helping her basically said like he would go and arrest her husband, but it would be like in exchange for sex. And like I've obviously researched countless like countless cases in which women were like laughed at and they were told there's like nothing that could be done. And like even cases where they treat these women like dogs and they like grab them and throw them out onto the street. And in many of these cases, like even if let's say you go and report and it's successful in like the reporting process, the chances are it's probably not going to be followed up. Um, allegedly, like dockets go missing all the time. And then in addition to this, the general prosecution rate for like crimes against violence against women are really, really low. I can't even imagine how awful it must be to like go and seek safety from people you are supposed to trust and who are supposed to protect you and you're treated like that. Like obviously there are cases where the experience is not as dreadful and the victim gets helped. But as we heard from you, that is not always the case. Usually the interactions are unpleasant and like just not helpful. And I think a large part of the blasé approach and the insensitivity is because there's literally no money to provide police with like adequate resources and training so that they like fully understand the law and are able to implement it effectively. And also, um, they just don't know like how to deal, like you say, with the situation when the person gets there. Like this woman has probably been through such trauma and you want to create a space where she feels safe, where she feels comfortable so that she can give the police officers all the possible information so that they can follow up and prosecute these offenders. Exactly. But also, um, a lot of these men who work at the police station have such outdated views and opinions about, like, women. And this basically makes women's, like, experiences pretty much like secondary victimization when they're just trying to seek out help. And it genuinely makes you question, like, why did you become a police officer? It just seems like they don't even want to help, which is, like, 90% of their job. Like, at the end of the day, your job as a police officer is to protect and serve. 
Yeah, dude. So there's like already that. And then on top of that, we have like the issue of like the legal system itself, which is why like our prosecution rate is so low. So I know that there's many cases where like police have just number one, not collected enough evidence for a proper investigation to take place or where like court personnel themselves don't actually understand the law. So if a woman wants to come in and open a case um, and they don't follow the right processes um, and it can be something simple like literally just filling out like incorrect forms. But this can have like a massive setback to one's case. Like our system is so flawed in terms of our failure to follow through and actually prosecute these like offenders. And I think for many men, this is the reason they're able to like commit these crimes because there isn't fear that there's going to be consequences for their actions. They know they're going to get away with it. And like it was actually even discussed in parliament. Like I saw that in... um the recent time for the national lockdown, just before March, um, there was 4,058 people who were charged for gender-based violence. Um, only 130 of them were actually tra- like charged, which rough- roughly translates to about like 3%. Honestly, I'm not even surprised. And the worst part is, even if they were charged, they probably didn't get a sentence that was like, something worthwhile. And prior to that, they'll probably be granted like bail, which literally doesn't make sense at all. Okay, so I know that there is basically like at the moment a bill that's being put in place to stop offenders from getting bail, which I think is like 100% right because uh, the logic for me is flawed. If a person has just been arrested for violently attacking someone and this person has gone and charges have been pressed against them. They know who's charging them. Um, and now you put them out on bail. Chances are that they're you've now put like the victim or survivor like in more danger. But before we continue with the second half of like our conversation, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Justin Crime Essay for more episodes, case-related content, updates, and other riveting content. Also, always keep in mind, we are not professionals in any of the discussed fields. If you or anyone you know is in danger, you can find resources on our social media pages, or alternatively, you can contact the Gender-Based Violence Command Center at 0800-428-428 or SMS help to 31531. But before we carry on with this conversation, I just want to circle back to the first story that you told where the neighbors like intervened. Yeah. Well, I feel like that this could be a good time to bring up that it's not only the police and abusers, but it's also bystanders. Everyone is too scared to get involved in other people's business um, and for it to be considered crossing a boundary, but that's part of the problem. I feel like when it comes to someone's health and safety and basically life, there are some boundaries that you need to cross and step in and say, this is abuse. This isn't okay. Or like straight up, like this is a hundred percent violation of like your rights and it's a thousand percent illegal. Like it's your duty as a human being to protect other human beings. Yeah, and sometimes, dude, you genuinely do need to step in because, like, firstly, not everyone is aware that they're being, like, abused. Obviously, when you're in the situation, you can't really identify that you're being mistreated and you can't really be objective. So you stepping in may just... I guess, like, show them another angle. And two, not everyone knows their rights. So you could literally be, like, enlightening and saving someone's life by just being more involved. 
And sometimes people need to know that they have like a support group and people who are looking out for them. Like a good portion of the time, people are just too scared to leave because they genuinely can't survive on their own and they don't even know where they could go. Like, I feel like back in the day, and I'm talking like pre-colonization days, um, when communities were formed, they basically had like an understanding that everyone knew what was happening in everyone's lives. Like, for example, you can see it when like, people raise children. It wasn't just the parent raising the child. It was the whole community. However, like as time has basically progressed, we've all become more and more private. And that lack of community involvement in each other's lives has basically created like a mind your own business mentality amongst people. And so a lot of things end up being kept behind like closed doors and it blocks off opportunity to intervene. I mean, when I say like community involvement, I just want to be clear what I mean by this. I mean, just knowing who your neighbors are, being able to speak to them. I don't mean like I want some tiny peeping over my fence to listen to like all the drama of my life. That's definitely like not what I'm saying. And I mean, that's absolutely perfect for the the abuser because I mean, the number one tool that abusers use is isolation. This way, the person who's like being abused basically can't reach out to anyone for help. And then obviously the abuser can just like continue exerting power on them. Yeah, dude. Like, I mean, I used to live next to this couple and they would like always, always fight. And this girl was always crying. And like, dude, I was really young. Like I was still in school. So I never went and said anything, but I would legit sit every day and I'd be like, wow, I just really hope like she's all right. Like what if he hit her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like whereas now if I were in this situation and I felt like there was something going on, I would probably go over and introduce myself and just like initiate a friendly neighborly relationship. And like, who knows, maybe that would have helped like if help was needed. Um, And at the like very least, she did at least know who's staying next door to her. <laughs> I also feel like it's very important that family members are like actively involved and are good role models in like the situation for kids to like look up to because I think it's become very evident that many men in South Africa don't have enough of those good role models like in their lives. And so they're learning like all the wrong things, things like intimidating and like violence. Yeah, dude, like I was literally just about to mention that. So in many of these cases, young boys grow up seeing like their fathers abusing their mothers. And because of the lack of community involvement and like the substance abuse issues that South Africa has. But basically these boys grow up with no one else to really like role model their lives. And I think that's where a lot of our like problems possibly start. Yeah, dude, like when we look at those root causes of gender-based violence, it's also very interesting to see that in a strategy where we need to approach these things, um, we need to address um, people from a very, very young age, which obviously doesn't happen much in South Africa because we're like super, super conservative in our nature. We don't even have sex education like as a subject in South Africa and not all parents like really sit down with their children and talk about sex and they also don't really like leave the floor open for like continuous questions and things about like consent and sexual health like etc. I think this is where the problem starts. Like it's crucial that we like carry on having an open dialogue from the beginning with our um, children. No dude like um, as I said we are extremely extremely conservative and like when it comes to talking about sex it's super taboo which is really odd considering that we've become so used to speaking about rape which should be more taboo and more of a 
a touchy point, but um, I honestly think it's something that people want to kind of keep behind closed doors. Um, but I have seen in some areas of like South Africa, they've started implementing like different programs at a school level. Okay, really? Yeah, dude. So basically, um, there's like a school in Rustenburg and they have mandatory sex education classes, which um, basically teach the school kids about sex, consent, sexual health. And basically, um, what prompted this was they found that in that area specifically, um, kids were like experiencing sexual violence as young as the age of like 15. 15. That is absolutely insane. That's heartbreaking. It really is, dude. And like, I feel like that's why it was important for them to start having that open dialogue with these kids about sex and about sexual violence. They basically like try to educate the students that like sexual violence can occur to anyone so that they're able to like protect themselves. And so that they're also able to like offer support for like loved ones who have survived um, these crimes. And I think also to teach them about like where there's like clear boundaries that cannot be crossed. Exactly. But with this, I think not only do we have to like look at educating the South African youth from like a young age, but also re-educating young and old on how to treat women with respect and just basically learning how to love each other as equals. Yeah, dude. And as I mentioned earlier in this episode, that there were some things that the government has put in place to basically stand up against gender-based violence and like femicide. And um, I actually want to speak about a guy, his name is called Patrick Shy, And he leads a sort of re-education program, like you mentioned, and it's called Kumala Ndoda. And it's basically run by the Justice Department. So Patrick himself, he's basically let, like described as a reformed abuser. And within this program, he basically speaks in depth um, to the like men of South Africa. And he says that men here basically demand respect. And in that sense, it becomes very oppressive. Um, in the program, they go through like anger management techniques and basically emphasize that like if you as a male have the immediate reaction to retaliate against a woman, then within yourself, you basically have the potential to kill her. And like what I basically really liked about this program is it offered men like a safe space where they could be together and speak openly and honestly about their experiences, their views, their struggles. Yeah, and I don't think men in South Africa have like a space or the opportunity where they can go and like support each other. Yeah, dude. And as we know, we genuinely like if you want to get through things, you have to speak quite in depth about it and over to overcome it. Um, So it is very much needed. Um, so that is obviously one of the things that are taking place. And I saw the other day that there are actually like initiatives and things that are being put in place by the government to obviously combat this issue. And we do have to give credit where credit's due. So basically, when we look at the laws that have been changed, um, so when we look at the criminal law, um, which is like sexual offenses and all the related um, matters, they basically have included sexual intimidation and they basically want to like seek to broaden the offense of incest, which is also an issue here, and places like um, great emphasis on reporting um, people who have been um, suspected of sexual offenses against children and have also like committed those crimes. They also want to basically expand like the scope of the National Register of Sex Offenders to include like all the details of um, the sex offenders and then to make that sex offenders um, list 
public. So basically, unlike America, our sex offenders list isn't public, which I think, I feel like if you have children, you want to know who lives in your area. And so um, having the ability to have that background check would be like a massive plus in like protecting ourselves and like obviously children. And then when it comes to like criminal matters, um, they're basically aiming to tighten, amongst other things, the granting of bail to gender-based violence and femicide perpetrators and to expand the sentences where minimum sentences are imposed. So that's what we spoke about earlier where I was saying that um, they're looking to basically not um, grant bail for perpetrators perpetrators of gender-based violence. And then lastly, in terms of domestic violence, so at the moment, in order for it to be considered domestic violence, you basically have to be married to the person. But now they're looking to basically expand that definition um, in terms of if you're engaged, if you're dating, in a customary relationship, romantic, um, an entanglement, a situationship, whatever you would like to call it, that will then, if you are abused in that situation, it's then going to be classified as domestic violence, um, which will obviously affect how you're sentenced. Um, and then obviously is to also expand the definition of domestic violence to include the protection of older people against abuse from their family members. So while this might all seem small, um, these small changes to the law and the more that are made are going to make like, I think, relatively impactful um, processes within like fighting against gender-based violence and femicide. So basically to end this discussion off, we just like to say that if you're going through any form of like abuse, please try reach out for help. And if you feel like you may be in danger at any point, um, make sure that you have a safety plan um, like in check. And for those of you who don't know what a safety plan is, it's basically a personal safety plan that is aimed at like helping you protect yourself and your children. It helps you plan in advance for like the possibility of future violence and abuse. Um, it also helps you to think about how you can increase your safety either within the relationship or if you decide to leave. So there are like a few suggestions about what you should consider. So firstly, there's like planning in advance how you might respond in different situations, including crisis crisis situations, and then thinking about the different options that may be available to you. Also, keep with you any important um, emergency telephone numbers, for example, the police domestic violence unit, um, your GP, the free phone 24-hour national domestic helpline, um, and also teach your children who to call during an emergency and what they need to say. For example, their full name, their address, telephone number, that type of thing. Then also, you should look to see if there are like neighbors you can trust and where you could go like in the event of an emergency. And if so, tell them what's going on and ask them to call the police if they hear like any like signs of violence. Also, rehearse an escape plan. So in an emergency, you and the children can like get away safely. Pack an emergency bag for yourself and your children and hide it somewhere safe. So like at your neighbor's um, or your friend's house, but also try to not put this at like mutual friends or families as your abuser will know like where to find you. Um, and then just always 
like try to keep small amounts of money on you so that like if there's anything that you need change for, for example, like phoning someone or like bus fares that you have it. Then also just know where your nearest like phone is. And obviously everyone these days has like a mobile phone. So just try and keep that with you. Like as much as possible. And if you suspect that your partner is like about to attack you, definitely try to get like to a lower risk area of the house. For example, somewhere where there's like a way to get out or like a way to access like a telephone. But then also avoid places like the kitchen or the garage because there are likely to be like knives and a lot of weapons. And then you want to avoid rooms that you might be trapped in. So like a bathroom or somewhere that you could possibly be shut into, which is like a cupboard or like a small like space. And then, yeah, just like basically just be prepared to leave the house like in an emergency. I can't stress that enough. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to check out our social media for more episodes, case-related content, and other riveting info. We'd also like to give a massive shout out to Christian Putter for creating our theme song. Be sure to check out more of his work on Instagram at Christian underscore Putter. And then we would also just like to thank Anthony Catano for creating our album art. So be sure to follow him at AntCatano on Instagram. And lastly, we'd like to give a huge shout out to VU Media for helping produce this podcast. Be sure to follow them on Facebook and Insta at VU underscore Media SA. 